Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Tonight, once again, V Radio is happy to present uh, Jack Reed from the Community Planet Foundation. We will be reading from his book, The Next Evolution, by Jack Reed. Um, I have a couple of panelists on here, uh, one of which you has been on V Radio in the past. Frank, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Frank Lee, Z Radio also. Right, that's, uh, yep, and uh, where can they find Z Radio? Uh, they can find it uh, pretty much the same website. It's blogtalk.com forward slash Z Radio, uh, Z dash radio. Yep, Z hyphen radio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As we often say. Um, and uh, now, not necessarily new to V Radio because he's called in, and we actually have a show that's actually an interesting point that I did a point out to everybody is um i uploaded a podcast that was also from the louisiana chapter that i did with uh chris here from the louisiana chapter so for those of you who didn't know about it because it didn't go out to the email list when i uploaded it uh there's an another basically a bonus episode of v radio that you could go look at that was also the louisiana chapter podcast and i'm going to go ahead and have you introduce yourself chris Hey guys, this is Chris, otherwise known as Tenoro. I'm the Louisiana coordinator for the Zeitgeist Movement, and I'm also the webmaster of LAZeitgeist.com, which is the Louisiana State Chapter website. Now, Chris, um, I don't think I've ever asked you this question that I ask every new panelist when they come on, but that is to tell the story of uh, the precipice or the moment in your life when you decided to, um, you know, to basically look at life differently, to get outside the box, so to speak, to actually start thinking consciously about fixing the world? (laughs) Uh, Well, I would have to credit George Carlin, or rather George Carlin's death. (laughs) Uh, I had never heard of George Carlin. He died back in 2008, and uh, his death basically put him on the news, and uh, I saw this uh, comedian. I heard he was pretty good. I never had seen him before. Uh, so I looked him up on YouTube, and uh, after watching some of his shows and I listened to how he talks about society, he he, he makes he's very critical of society, talking about the owners of this country and how we don't actually have any rights anymore, and um, you know how YouTube has related videos along the uh, right side of the page, and somewhere along the way I uh, found a clip from the first Zeitgeist movie quoting uh, George Carlin. I watched that movie, I thought it was interesting, and uh, I was curious enough to watch Zeitgeist Addendum, and there was a moment in Zeitgeist Addendum where I, I really felt the awakening. It's uh, after Peter spent the first uh, the first two halves of the movie, I think it was, describing the monetary system as, and how messed up our society is, and then he and then he, I heard him say, so what do we do? And I thought to myself, holy crap, does this guy actually have solutions? I am all ears. Right, right. That's excellent. Um, well, uh, now I'm going to go ahead and have Jack. Uh, Jack, go ahead and reintroduce yourself to the audience. We never know when uh, you know your first-time listeners may not know you. Hi, everybody. This is Jack Reed out here in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, the founder of co-founder of the Community Planet Foundation, which um, I'm sure they've got a link to, communityplanet.org. And uh, this is what I do. Uh, The book was written to 
describe the work that a that a group of us did in creating a model community that would have the potential of transforming the planet and then it was around that vision that we created that I uh, wrote the the next evolution of blueprint for transforming the planet. So tonight we're going to be talking and Neil's going to be at the point in the book where we're going to be talking about consensus decision making. So this is pretty exciting because this is one of the things that really separates the community planet vision from uh, a lot of the things that are out there in terms of some sust sustainable solutions for the planet. All right. Excellent. Um, now, Jack, you recently attended the uh, Santa Barbara screening of Zeitgeist Moving Forward, didn't you? I did. And uh, what did you think of the film? I, I liked the film. And, uh, you know, of course, because the resource-based economy is – is very similar to what we propose in the next evolution, only on a scale where it can start on a community level and then can spread from there because people have to see and understand it working, I think, before they can get motivated to have it happen. And so it can be taken in a smaller chunk as opposed to thinking about how how can we like just make this universally happen on the on in the country like all at once uh so our our solution is to create a model community where we demonstrate these things and get people motivated that way so um and the part uh, again the part i felt that was left off of there was the part about consciousness because if we're going to transform the planet there's the form of the highest good for all, but going, but hand in hand with that, there has to be the consciousness of the highest good for all. I need to turn up my phone back there. <laughs> Sounds like you're popular, Jack. Um, we do have a, a tendency in this movement to find people who who tend to agree with our direction, and I I don't think it's simply because we look for people who tend to agree with us. I think that that it's a growing phenomenon that more and more people are waking up and realizing that, look, folks, it's time for a change. Just earlier tonight on Z Radio, we had Todd Brilliant from the Post Carbon Institute, who, uh, interestingly enough, and uh, by, me, by who, I mean the organization uh, as well as the individual, tend to agree with a lot of our direction. So... So even though we might not all agree 100%, hell, no one agrees 100% with much of anything. So even though we might all not agree 100% with each other, we can still see that we're moving in the same direction. And I think that is a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Now to go over just a little bit of news before we get started here, um, few different things that I wanted to tell people about. Um, first of which, if you haven't watched it already, Peter Joseph does a um, something rather uncharacteristic for him. He goes on YouTube and actually does his own debunking video. I'm forgetting the name of the fellow, but he does free domain radio, and Peter basically kind of gave him an intellectual spanking. Um, That's it's, Stephen Molyneux. Yeah, it's really, really, really enjoyable. Um, for those of you uh, who haven't checked it out, you know, be sure that you do. Uh, Peter was in rare form, and Peter's been telling me that he wants to start pawning off like radio shows and stuff on me because he's getting so burned out that it's really hard for him to contain himself and not be rude to these people. 
Um, and he did a good job of mostly containing himself during that, but I can understand why he's getting frustrated. It can be really, really tough. Um, and then uh, in other news, uh, those of you who remember the Rudy Davis broadcast, um, Rudy Davis won the uh, – the the best title of an anti Venus Project uh, um, YouTube award given by Peter, Peter put it on his Facebook, uh, and the the title was something like uh, Jock Fresco is a monkey set from hell to, <laughs> to, to <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Jock kind of has the right ears for it, but I don't know. <laughs> Other than that, I, I'm not. Sure. <laughs> I just. I, it, you know, I, I couldn't... Get the I, man a break. He's 94 years old. Of course he's going to be a little bit hunched over. Oh, wait, here we go. Jock Fresco with Zeitgeist is an evil chimpanzee from hell sent to deceive you. <laughs> oh, my God. And I just, it's, you know, he, he goes on there, and I, I, I was hoping maybe that I had, I had made some changes in Mr. Davis's uh, opinions, but... Um, in any case, uh, I don't remember. I didn't actually look at the uh, um, the, the time frame on when that was put up, but I, I discovered it on Facebook. And uh, for those of you who want to link to see the the evil chimpanzee from hell, <laughs> let me know. Um, also, uh, Love Police no- news: uh, Charlie Veach, Charles Veach, uh, was not deleted from Facebook. Uh, he recently released a video explaining what happened. Um, he took. Two of his Facebook accounts down um, after the issue with him getting arrested in Canada, for example, during the G20 thing. He had been thinking about it for a while, and uh, the judge there, when he when he gave up his, you know, the the person who was keeping him in a, uh, you know, basically keeping allowing him to stay at his house um, in Canada, they they you know they got his name and everything. They printed out his Facebook page with all of his personal information on it. And that started to send Charlie down the road of, you know, I'm not so sure about this Facebook thing. And I guess there's a lot of corporations involved in funding Facebook. I still use it as a communications tool, but I figured out way back when I was doing VTV, meaning the, the VTV show, you know, it's it's my answer to it is I, I've been thinking about it for a while. I'm going to post a, a picture of myself giving the middle finger, and it's going to say in the bottom, you know, if you're a government agent looking at this, this is what I think of you. <laughs> they already know about us, you know. It's it, Facebook might make it easier, but I'm not going to give up this communications tool that I can use against them. But um, in any case, Charlie is fine. He's not. He wasn't arrested or anything. He he took his his uh thing down on its own on his own. So um, as far as oh yeah, I had mentioned about V Radio uh, in regards to tax stuff. I had a very long phone call with the IRS today, and uh, fortunately enough, the, the funny thing is, is that I that they they're not generally accustomed to somebody saying, "Hey, I'm doing this. Is this okay?" <laughs> and then, so they were very nice to me, and uh, they ended up like make, to make sure that I got all of my questions answered. They they transferred me to like six people. It took me four hours of sitting on the phone, but but um, eventually I found out that in fact. Uh, that the donations that I get for V Radio are essentially classified as a gift and are therefore untouchable by the IRS, and therefore I'm fine. And um, the only reason this became relevant is some trolls who really have nothing better to do with their lives other than, I guess, be jealous and resentful of me were threatening to call the IRS on me. So I went ahead and called them myself, and don't worry about it. Uh, Your donations to V Radio are considered gifts, and I 
I put up a little disclaimer there to make it clear that it's it's not a business transaction. It's not, you know, you're not subscribing anything. It's it's a gift from you to me for the work that I do for you. So, in any case, um, uh, there have been messages sporadically popping up on Facebook from the Egyptian chapter of the Zeitgeist movement. Um, we can't confirm uh, if they're real, but apparently. Uh, there are Egyptian members of the, the Zeitgeist Movement who occasionally manage to somehow get a hold of people on Facebook and say that they're okay. Um, so obviously our, our thoughts and our concerns go out to them because I, I don't want to give them prayers because I don't believe in them. <laughs> right, but uh, but yeah, that is it's a little bit of a mess that they're going on through uh, going through over there, and I really don't understand what makes this president, uh, if he could be called that. Um, so, I don't know, <laughs> dogmatic in his solutions, you know. Uh, here's an entire nation saying, get the fuck out. And he says, no, I, I'm going to appoint someone to take my place. Right. Uh, I, I'm a little curious, though. Uh, I don't know if I am completely in... Uh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm completely and accurately informed on the matter, but uh, did all of this Egyptian protesting start because they killed the Internet? Um, I'm not entirely sure on how how closely tied the two are. I know that they killed the Internet, but there was a plan for a protest, from what I understand, for nearly a year in advance that they uh, that they organized through the Internet. And then within days... Before the protest actually started, uh, they shut down the internet, and that only uh, actually that only ended up instigating the protest and making it that much larger. Because then people who had absolutely no, no interest in it ended up participating as well. Because you know, hey, who the hell are you to take away my internet just because these people over here want to put up a protest? Yeah, and I have to say, I am loving that. Because right now, our, our government keeps uh, trying to push legislation, especially our, our U.S. Chamber of Commerce, keeps trying to push legislation to further restrict the use of the Internet here in the U.S. They keep calling it the Internet Kill Switch uh, Bill. And it, I, I'm, I cannot speak entirely uh, certain if, that's a, if that is for certain what it is, but if it is, it would make the uh, the the whole fiasco going on in Egypt would at least make them a bit more reluctant to pass such a such a bill. Yeah, that's well. That. Yeah, you know the thing about Egypt and it's uh, my only concern is is what are they going to do now? You know, um, you know is uh, I you know I, and I had this thought and I'm like you know this is kind of a dangerous thought but I almost wish we could go you know because there's just these people sitting around. In the streets, you know, it, it makes me wish we could go do ZMS screenings over there, you know, maybe expose them to, to our solutions, because there's certainly a group of people that are, you know, ready for solutions, and uh, I posted some videos, Al Jazeera's been doing great coverage, which you can tune, you can tune into Al Jazeera TV on Facebook, um, and they pretty much run this coverage 24 hours a day, and... Um, and uh you know they one of the videos that i posted was there was this guy he said we're going to you know we're going to get our goddamn rights it doesn't matter if you're a muslim it doesn't matter if you're a jew it doesn't matter if you're an atheist you know we all have we all deserve to have rights i mean this is what this dude is saying right in the middle of the middle east and it was actually very uplifting to hear him say that you know and yeah yeah 
I saw that. That was excellent. But you know, the last that I heard, uh, which was uh, yesterday, uh, Sunday, on the Sunday morning news, uh, they talked about Al Jazeera had been shut down. Yep. Well, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me that it could have happened. I don't know. I know that it's been on every time I've gone to that Facebook link. So, but um. Well, I know that uh, I have uh, I have Dish Network and I have Al Jazeera available to me on there, but I don't actually watch it. <laughs> so that's you know that's the funny thing about Al Jazeera, especially Al Jazeera English. Uh, you can go there and generally get more accurate information about what's going on in the Middle East than you would by going to Western, obviously. And uh, mm. my friend Senator Gravel actually went over there, and uh, they put him on, and you know he was bashing U.S. foreign policy, and he was he was telling them all. He's like, just so you guys understand, you know, uh, not every American agrees with this stuff. He's like, there were lots of people I met during my campaign for president who do, you know, do, who support you, who do not want this to be happening in your countries, and. And they they were very nice to him. So, um, so in, in any case, uh, that was basically uh, what I wanted to get started on. There's just to kind of go over those things a little bit. And um, we're you know the chat room is open. We got I guess we're streaming in Teamspeak at the same time as in the chat room. So the chat room has less people in it that normally does. But that's totally fine to me. Um, for those of you who are new to the show, please uh, visit my website vradio.org, v hyphen or v minus radio.org. Um, there you can see the archives of more shows like this one, uh, more shows with Jack, lots of those, um, lots of shows with Jack and Roxanne, shows with Peter Joseph, shows with Ben Stewart from Chimatica and Esoteric Agenda, um, lots of other filmmakers, Blue Gold, World Water Wars, Militainment Incorporated, um, all of those films uh, covered here. Uh, another way, a couple of other ways you can contribute is I was given uh, permission by the Venus Project and the artist who did it to, uh, and for those of you with children, get ready, but um, <laughs> uh, to to make uh, this shit's got to go gear. <laughs> so you can get a picture of the, uh, Jacques Fresco saying this shit's got to go with the Venus Project uh, website link and the V Radio link on it. And uh, those proceeds go to helping the radio. Um, in addition yeah. to that, if you click to the donate button, there's also an Amazon link. And if you just if you happen to be planning to buy any of the books or movies in this list that I picked out, that are all if they're in that list, they're all things I like and I would recommend. If you happen to want to buy any of them anyway, you can get them at Amazon, and then I get a kickback for V Radio. Was somebody else yeah. going to say something? Yeah, not to sidetrack your show too much, but you know I think it's interesting that you brought that up about the this shit's got to go because uh as i understand it moving forward has been taken off of or somehow censored on facebook um because of the language and what is it two points at, at two particular points in the movie that they actually use any language one was Jacques, and the other one was with peter saying what are we <laughs> fucking stupid <laughs> Oh, and, uh, and Neil, uh, speaking of your uh, stuff you have for sale uh, with that quote from Jacques, um, I, I checked it out, but I didn't see a bumper sticker. Is there a bumper sticker I could slap on my truck? You know, quote? I went with Printfection. I'm going to make a bumper sticker eventually, but I'll probably have to go through a different company. And this is another thing, because somebody else brought this up, and I want to make sure people are aware. The reason the prices are so high is because it's a print-on-demand service, which means... 
you know, it's actually the Venus Project uses Cafe Press for the same reasons, but it means that I don't need to print out 30 billion of these things and then have nobody buy them. <laughs> but that's why the prices are higher, so that people are aware. I only make $5 on the T-shirts and $2 on everything else. I'm not getting rich off of those things. Um, but I figured, you know, it would be cool to have those T-shirts out there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm going to do bumper stickers eventually. I just I have to go through a different company. So. Well, there's another thing that uh, that some people consider also. If they want to have T-shirts printed up in their own local area, um, there are T-shirt shops, like there's one here, that will charge you just for the screen so that, you know, you can have full screen-printed T-shirts. It's not the photographic T-shirts, you know, but they'll charge you per screen. So if you have two colors, that's two screens. If you've got two sides to your shirt, that's uh, two th- two to four screens and uh and so you only pay for the screen and like uh the local shop here is $25 per screen um and then they uh, they only charge me $5 per shirt so i actually uh I, with the printing on them so well i'll look uh, that's into not that too bad. i'll look into that for sure it was just it was kind of on a a quick whim i'm like let me go find the cheapest one i could and print fiction was the cheapest one and and they handle everything basically i don't have to ship anything i don't you know i don't i don't process your credit card or any of that crap crap so it had benefits to that but it also means that I, you know the profit margin is really low i was actually more concerned about just being able to get the shirts out there with the venus project website and the and my website on them and even somebody who's not into this stuff that's kind of an eye catcher the artist who who donated that art to me and did a really good job of making something that if if you walk down the street with this shirt on, people are going to stop and read it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So anyway, um, and also when you're looking at that store, be be aware of the fact that um, uh, they all of the shirts are shirts and mugs and everything are all displayed in white, but you can get them in a bunch of colors. Uh, that the prices change when you when you change the colors, but um, that's just to make you aware. For example, you couldn't catch me caught dead in a white T-shirt. That's the reason I haven't actually gotten one of Peter's yet. I've been thinking about just making a single Zeitgeist T-shirt in in black for myself <laughs> just to go along with that. But um, anyway, um, so that was it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, move us on to the, the, the reading portion of the show. For those of you who are new panelists, basically you mute your mic, you listen to me read, and uh, I'll read a little bit. When I kind of get to a point where I, I feel I need to stop, then I consult with each of my panelists. And um, if anybody has any commentary to add to, to a given chapter, um, I have multiple ways to call in to V-Radio. Uh, you can call in toll-free. You can call in local to New York. Um, and if you're from out of the country, I can add you via Skype. Um, I mean, if you want to call my number without that, you can, but uh, the only way to do it for free is with Skype. And honestly, I prefer Skype over the other options because Skype is better sound quality overall. It's a really great piece of software that you can use for free. It only costs money if you want to be able to call phones. So all of that said, I'm going to move us on now. We were still in the middle of Chapter 4, um, these shows are going a bit different than the ones I did with Jacques' book because Jacques' book was, some of the chapters were a bit shorter. So, um, we were on page 133. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started. 
One downside of what we typically think of as wealth is that most of us get stuck on the treadmill of having to slave to perpetuate our lifestyles, and that really drains the life out of most people. We've been chasing a concept of freedom that we've thought of as having enough money to do what we want, when we want, to the extent that we want. The trouble is that in an everyone-for-themselves model, this isn't possible for the vast majority of people. If there's not enough money for in a circulation to pay the national debt, then there is a finite amount of what people think of as wealth, thus producing the haves and the have-nots. We've bought into having lots of possessions because we think they create freedom through security. However, freedom is anything but being stuck on the treadmill, and wealth is really so much more than the money or material goods. Part of the essence of freedom is having fun and pleasure and living in our community, uh, I'm sorry, and living in our community will be incredibly fun and rewarding on all levels as we heal the alienation and isolation that have characterized our civilization. And we move into being nurtured by nature and by each other. That really is our divine heritage. How do we interact with our environment? Remember that since the time of Francis Bacon in the 17th century, the question that our cultures have asked the, about the environment has been, how can we detach ourselves from nature and manipulate it to advance our own human interests? This question has led to our current environmental crisis, utilizing the concept of the highest good of all life. The question we must ask is, how do we design a physical situation that will work for all of us and all the life on the planet? We know that we must meet the needs of the planet by practicing sustainability. We must also meet the needs of the people involved by optimizing the standard of living for all people. Let's imagine taking a piece of land for a community. This could either be raw land or land where we could eventually replace any existing structures. The first thing we do is an environmental impact study in order to see how we can best protect and restore nature, what the population carrying capacity of the land is, where it's best to build and grow food, etc. While the minimum amount of land needed would depend on each location, I would foresee at least 1,000 acres for a community of up to 500 people. While some of you may think that's a lot, keep in mind that we don't have to live as packed in as we do now, especially as we start growing food within the communities and as we begin to restore nature. In the designing the community as a whole, we can plan for its growth and limited size to that which the area can naturally support. Because of the cooperative nature of the community, one of the immediate design improvements we can make would be to design it to be a pedestrian community. We could bring walking back into our lives and, when needed, use the community's solar rechargeable electric cars. Because most people would work within the community, we could also cut, our, cut way back on the use of cars, which would be parked on the outskirts of the community. For a community of 500 people, we may only need 50 or so cars, probably even less. With the amount of resources most of us tie up in our cars, just think of the savings we can have in the transportation. Also, many, if not all of these cars, could be run with non-polluting energy. In addition, just picture a living situation without fences and without all the concrete and space we use for roadways and parking areas. According to the USDA, we're losing over 3 million acres per year of agricultural land to development. That's almost three times the size of Delaware, much of it being put under concrete every year. Almost all of this is due to the lack of cooperation in our current system. When we all finally start living for the highest good, there are machines that eat concrete and turn it into sand. Then we can reverse our current course and instead start eliminating millions of acres of concrete every year. In addition, the buildings would be designed from the beginning to be multi-use and multi-purpose structures, 
In the current everyone-for-themselves paradigm, most private and even civic structures go unused a great portion of the time. In a cooperative community, we would... Sorry about that, folks. My internet completely died. Um, in fact, I may have to call back again because I didn't um, unplug my thing back in. But anyway, to those of you who are listening, <laughs> it's too bad. We had some good momentum in the show, and then all of a sudden it died on us. So I'm sure there's probably nobody left in the chat room by now. But, uh, um, no, I, no, actually, uh, I jumped into the chat room and uh, let everybody know that you were having some technical difficulties and uh, would be right back. And Jack was asking, were you... Were you uh, broadcasting from Cairo? <laughs> Man, I wish. It'd been cool to do that. All right, guys. I apologize for that. Um, I'm gonna have to call everybody back because if I if I try to plug my headset back in so that you so that they don't hear the echo, it's gonna um, it'll uh, basically my sound card will be like uh, negative. Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. It'll be really angry at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, we figured you had some kind of internet problem. All right, I'll call you all right back in just a second. Okie dokie. All right, folks, I'm really sorry about that. Um, I actually can edit shows now, so I should be able to pull that pause out of the show later. Uh, but basically what happened is the Internet went out in our whole neighborhood and uh, from time to time, uh, basically what happens is, um, especially if there's a big winter storm, it'll it'll kill us. So, are you in? Uh, are you broadcasting from Cairo, Neil? <laughs> no, from Michigan. <laughs> it's a snow problem, not a desert problem. Close enough. <laughs> All right. Anyway, what was the last thing you guys heard? <laughs> Click. <laughs> yeah, that certainly helps. Thanks, Jack. You rock, man. <laughs> Just for that, I'm going to make you sit through this entire page because I'm not sure where I left off. You left, uh, off, in the, uh, you left off somewhere in the third paragraph on page 134. Oh, well, that, that's extremely useful. Thanks. <laughs> you're, you're going to make him sit through the page of the book that he wrote? <laughs> well, yeah, he said that it's interesting to to hear me read it generally because uh, you know I guess you you don't really read it very much, right, Jack? Well, I I wrote it a while ago, so as you're reading it, it's like I'm I'm listening to words that somebody else has written, and and this book actually won several awards, and as I'm listening to it, I think to myself. Damn, that's well written. I wish I could write something that good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Thank you all to all those of you who stuck around. I apologize for the trouble. Unfortunately, that is one thing that no matter how competent I am, there's nothing I can do about, um, and that happens to be it. So, um, Yeah, I recognize where you're coming from with that, Jack, because, you know, I... Uh, I've written a lot of things on the forum for for the site, uh, 
And then I go back later on thinking, well, okay, I know I've progressed a lot since I've been in the movement. I've learned a lot of things. So I go back and I reread some of the things that I've written, and I'm like, wow, okay, I guess maybe I did have a clue. I don't know. I I haven't changed that much uh, in my thought processes. Oh, not me. I like to read things that I wrote about six months ago, and it may, and it gives me what I like to call the artist anxiety, where I can, where I have to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it, and if I don't stop myself, I'll tweak it forever. Well, well yeah. Not- see, that's what my concern is that I, you know, that I said something in the past that conflicts with something that I'm saying now, you know, and so like that paradigm that I was talking about earlier. Or I may may have spoken of on uh, Z Radio, I think, earlier tonight, that uh, there are some people who will insist that, well, okay, you said this a long time ago, so why is it not true now? Right. Now, I have an, another reaction, which is when I go on the Community Planet uh, website, if I'm about to give a public presentation, I have to be careful not to look at the video that's on the website because that video it has been edited and it is so tight uh in terms of uh the, the presentation that was given that I look at that and I get intimidated like wow why even bother why don't I just show this video because I can't be anywhere near as as articulate as this guy it's me but I don't have the association with it being me it's just some guy giving a talk that I completely agree with <laughs> yeah, you have, it takes a while to get used to hearing yourself in these mediums. But um, all right, I guess I'll go ahead and get back to trying to read then. Um, thanks. Thankfully, uh, Jack remembers where I was, so I'm going to go ahead and start in the third paragraph on that page. Once again, um, thank you for tuning into V Radio. I, I apologize for the uh, the delay. Um, if it happens again, that's pretty much what it would be. There's a huge snowstorm in the area, and sometimes the snow does it wrecks havoc on the uh, the local cable company's infrastructure. So, with any luck, uh, there won't be any more problems tonight. So, it's, anyway, go ahead, Jack. You're actually, you're actually on the second to the last uh, sentence in that paragraph. <laughs> well, thanks, Jack. All right, second to the last sentence in that paragraph. All right. In the current everyone-for-themselves paradigm, most private and even civic structures go unused a great portion of the time. In a cooperative community, we would need to have fewer structures while at the same time having far more facilities for all of us to use. Using existing technology, we can generate all of our own energy through solar power and other options, depending on location. As examples, there are 6,000 villages in India that are running on photovoltaic, and the story of the Gaviados village in Colombia provides us with an incredible model of energy self-sufficiency in the most challenging of environments. Also, when designing from scratch rather than trying to retrofit, we can save a huge amount of energy by designing and building an energy efficiency in the first place instead of coming along later and trying to correct past mistakes. It's interesting that ancient cultures even knew how to save energy in their designs, but we blindly build for convenience and try to muscle in by use of fossil fuel, things like heating and cooling. Technologically, this community center would in many ways be like a Disney World Epcot Center built along the lines of sustainability. The community would be a living demonstration of a future that is not grim, foreboding, and poverty-stricken, but rather a future that is both sustainable and very desirable. 
Built with local, non-polluting building materials, the community would also be a showcase for positive design, technology, and building materials. Designing a community to work for everyone will look different in different environments. However, in every environment, we can improve the quality of life, of all life, by designing and building cooperatively. For example, in areas with a lot of snow, we can build domes over the living and working areas just like they put domes over stadiums. This will enable the residents to enjoy the winter while at the same time being able to walk around and play without the burden of expense that snow and ice can, can impose, or, and cold can impose. In many places, water is now a problem. However, there are many ways to deal with water without resorting to dams and pumping water from great distances, practices that have had a devastating effect on our nation's waterways. For example, the California city of Arcata uses a two-pond wetland system where the sewage is naturally purified by plants. That water can be recycled for agriculture, etc. It is also possible to design structures that collect and store vast quantities of rainwater. Ancient cultures knew enough to do that. They didn't have the ability to use fossil fuels to build dams and pipe water hundreds of miles. If an area like Los Angeles had been designed effectively in the first place, we would not have to pump water long distances. We would also not be sending so much pollution into our bay, making it dangerous to swim in and contaminating the sea and the chain of life that it supports. Because we can design a community with recycling in mind, it will be easy to recycle our paper and just about all of our waste products. When we can't recycle, we can use our group purchasing power to buy products without all the wrappings that characterize today's commercialism, and we can buy products that are biodegradable. When we had to buy these more positive products individually, we, have, we may have thought them to be too expensive in our previous lifestyles. Remember, too, that when we share and recycle resources, we use far, far less of our planet's resources. For the survival of our planet, we obviously need to start using resources only at the rate that they can naturally renew themselves. The promise of technology in our age was that it is, was supposed to improve our lives by lifting us above the whims of nature. While science and technology have largely delivered on that promise, it has often come at a price. The earth has been monumentally damaged, and there is now the threat of irreversible damage not only to the environment but also to the future quality of all life on the planet. Technology was meant to be our servant, not our master, and we are now left with the task of trying to figure out how to correct the damage that we've done. This task is made even more difficult because we don't want to sacrifice any of the Western consumerism to which we become accustomed. Creating a positive model for future development is the key to returning technology to its role as a servant to mankind. Fortunately, we currently have the science and technology to rectify most of the problems facing us, especially given that we can change the way that we all live together to make it work for all of us. However, it is obvious that we need a revolution of consciousness. As Einstein said, it has become appallingly clear that our technology has surpassed our humanity. How do we interact with our environment? We are creating a community that is in harmony and balance with nature. In designing a community as a whole, we can plan for its growth and limited size to that which the area can naturally support. Our design will include the recycling of resources and the fostering of a positive relationship with our environment. We will also make maximum use of technologies that work in harmony with nature while minimizing those technologies that pollute. 
Ours is a community where people, nature, and technology work in unison to create an environment that works for the benefit of all. Essences. How do we interact with our environment? By respecting and living in, in harmony with our environment, by keeping as natural an environment as possible, by utilizing innovations and in technology that preserve our natural environment. Guidelines. Limit the number of people in the community to that which the area can naturally and sustainably support. We've gotten into our imbalances with nature by trying to concentrate too many people into areas that will not naturally support those numbers. There is enough land for all of us to live in the balance with nature. Maintain as much natural surface area as possible and respect the flow of nature. Minimize concrete surfaces. Use natural pathways instead of roads. We have enough concrete already. Encourage natural wildlife in harmony with space and nature. Build on the basis of need. Utilize multi-purpose buildings. So much of our space under roof goes unused in an everyone-for-themselves world, and this has caused a proliferation of buildings that are not necessary, are not necessary if we truly cooperate. Require justification for individual housing space, square footage, and number of rooms. If we are cooperating with each other and with nature, we don't need as much space under roof. We just need the flexibility to change the space we're living in. Keep pollutants from going into the environment. With the current crisis in our immune systems, we've got to do this. Recycle waste materials. Recycle water. Use biodegradable products whenever possible, and it's almost always possible. If not, we need to start making more innovative choices so we don't pollute. Use natural pest control. Organic farmers do this now. But the huge growers are dependent on chemicals because of what they've done to the land. We need to return farming to smaller local operations. Minimize noise pollution, have, you know, i.e. having noisy machinery on ground, you know, put it underground. We have too much noise in our lives and we don't have to live that way. In Cairo, people are going deaf from the constant honking of car horns. Utilize unobtrusive indirect lighting for pathways. Self-produce as much natural energy as possible by using the most efficient, non-pollutant energy systems available. Maximize solar heating and cooling. Recycle energy, i.e. exchanges between heating and cooling systems, etc. In the, cons in the consumptive way that we've designed things, this resource has gone untapped. Now, how do we reach consensus? It might be a good... Yeah, I was just going to say, we're going to pause. <laughs> Time to have a good discussion. All right, folks, um, we discussed a bit there about the uh, the structure um, of this community that is proposed by Community Planet uh, with 500 people in it. From a little background, anyway, for those of you who are new to the Community Planet shows, you can listen to the archives to get a, a grasp on the rest of the stuff. But um, All right, um, Frank, you want to comment a little bit on these design ideas? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, I think it's interesting that you, well, especially when you talked about the freshwater uh, and water purification processes that you all have going on over there in California, because whenever I think back over what we have done to our marshes here in Louisiana, uh, we have systematically cut gorges through these marshlands, these wetlands, and it has destroyed them i mean the the whole process 
has and all of this was so that we could make it easier for fishermen to get to certain fisheries, you know, certain areas of the marshes and so we dug out areas of the marsh to create these inland fisheries that were not really inland, you know, because it's all marshy, it's all kind of part of the ocean. Um and we've also created these waterways for our oil tankers and crew boats to get offshore to drill for all of this oil. And so now we've got all of this oil that is whenever we have that, whenever the Deepwater Horizon went up, you know, a lot of the oil that came in land came in land a whole lot further than it would on your average beach because on your average beach well, it's just going to land there in the sand. But with the way we've cut through all of these waterways, man, all that oil just flows right in through those oil uh, through those waterways and destroys a lot more fisheries and a lot more land than it would have otherwise. Yeah, that's that's very true, um, and that's it's especially when he when he talks about the fact that we've done so much to our land. I don't, you know, that's something that Zeitgeist moving forward really emphasized uh was that we've done so much damage to our topsoil and it doesn't just come back um (laughs) it's it's a not i mean it's a renewable resource and that it will come back but we'd have to leave it alone for long periods of time in order for it to do so right and one of the things that's really disturbing about what we've done to to the marshes here with creating these passageways to be able to get offshore you know if you go anyone could go to google earth and zoom in on those marsh areas, all of that south land area of Louisiana, and you can see just exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And, and the whole reason, or the number one claimed reason for doing this, was to make it easier for those ships to get out to sea. Yet, more often than not, those who work offshore either end up going to a heliport and taking a helicopter offshore or they end up going to one particular port that was already right there on the uh, water's edge and, and taking a ship from there. So and, we've set all these waterways for basically nothing. And it's just another example of decisions that are made about the environment to benefit a few and sacrifice the rest of the people and sacrifice the you know, not only the beauty of the environment, but in terms of Louisiana, the very protection of the coast and the people who live there, and and all to benefit a few people, so to enrich a few people. Yes, exactly. Well, Chris, that would make it your turn. Did you have any comments about this chapter? Yes, uh, well, I, I do have a comment on the topic that we were just discussing about what kind of impact we're making on the uh, on the land, especially down here in Louisiana, Fred um, made, a, made a point. Uh, you know, Fred took a second to point out the Deepwater Horizon. Uh, I mean, it, it's just insane what we're doing down here. When you really consider why it's even necessary for us to drill for the freaking oil so deep in the ocean, knowing that if if and when an emergency like this would happen, we would not be able to fix it. The reason why we require all of that petroleum and all the oil so deep in the ocean is well uh, we require the oil to further pollute the air in our cars we require the oil to put into the roads that we're using to ruin the arable land and on top of that we require the oil 
to produce chemicals and fertilizers needed to refertilize the land because we are and because our uh, gasoline powered tractors are helping <laughs> to ruin the air as well. I mean, any, anybody who tells me that this is even remotely sustainable is either they they're either not paying attention or they just don't care. Right. That's that's very true. Um, you know and. I had forgotten that you guys, being from Louisiana, obviously, you know, you have kind of a unique perspective on issues with the coast and, you know, and having dealt with some of that stuff. So, um, you know, it, basically, uh, a lot of these things that Jack is saying are, are very much in touch with, you know, uh, concepts that are very similar to what Jacques would say. Um, and I, I think that it's important that we consider for a moment all of the approach here involved and you know when it comes to what we're discussing as far as like what we want to build and the kind of uh concerns that we need to have and you know and another thing that this this chapter still touches on quite a bit is something else that's very similar between these two movement ideals is the concept of access over ownership it's not important that you own a car it's important that you have access to one if you happen to need one and uh, that's a really important part, you know, that, that people don't get, especially when it comes to, you know, how much would we need to produce, you know, how many things would we need to have, et cetera, et cetera. They, oh, that, that number is not as high as people believe because they have an overinflated idea um, due to advertising and all the other, you know, BS, um, you know, that tells us that we need a lot more than we really need. Um so all those things taken into account, um, Jack, did you have more you wanted to add? Yeah, this subject of Louisiana and oil and the Gulf and um, you know it's just it's just nuts because the the source, as I understand it, that they've tapped in there for oil is is a mile down under the surface of the ocean, and that's no longer decomposed material. That's something that has come. From the, as I understand, there's something called abiotic or abiotic oil, which is produced within the the earth itself, and that's what they went and tapped into there, as I understand it, that created all this volume. But the crazy thing is about this whole thing is this demand for energy now, uh, and the world got transformed by fossil fuels. But this now that there are alternatives. And these alternatives, in many cases, have been suppressed. But even if they hadn't been suppressed, most of the energy that we're using, we're using because of the lack of cooperation between people. We're using it because of the every person for themselves model. By producing things and supporting, you know, in a cooperative society, as Bucky Fuller and the economist Shoemaker pointed out, 85% of the jobs that ex now exist would not exist. So all the resources that go to support those kinds of jobs, incredible amount of resources that go to support that, not only in terms of energy, but resources in, in every way not to mention the the life force of, of people working in jobs that are not necessary and all the commuting time and everything. And so they keep talking about, well, we need more oil. We need more green energy. It's like we do, what we need is more cooperation so we can cut down on the use of 
the energy that's that's there. It's it's just you know if if somebody was coming from another planet and where they were basing it on cooperation and was looking at how we do things and squander our resources on this planet, they'd think that we were absolutely nuts because we're not realizing that we are all one, that we are all related, and we can make this work for everyone. Instead, they'll see they would see greed. They'd see a corporate power. They'd see all these things that people get invested to. We've got to do these things in, in the way we're doing them. Nikola Tesla had a way to produce energy to give to everybody at the turn of the century from the 1900s to the 20th century, and they stopped him from doing it. And there's all sorts of inventions that are out there that create what's called zero-point energy or free energy, and they stop these people from doing these things. Uh, I had a friend who created a car that could get 200 miles a gallon on salad oil, and they stopped him from building that car. Uh, so it's just it's just nuts what we're what we're doing, and we need a community like what we're describing here to demonstrate that something entirely different is possible so that people can look at this and they can see a pedestrian community where people can live and work in the same community, where they can walk everywhere instead of getting in their cars, where there's opportunities to do things recreationally-wise and self-growth-wise, where they don't have to say, well, what am I going to do tonight? I might as well just watch television because everything else is so far away. So I might as well just get in my McMansion or my house or how much space I can enclose here that I can call mine and uh, numb myself out instead of cooperative community based on relationships between people and nature and people can get out and, and have fun and, and, and create connections and loving and excitement in their lives. I uh, I have two quick points, if you don't mind, Neil. No, go ahead. Um, goes back to one thing that you said, uh, which was the access to transportation. You know, there's the the argument that, well, what if I have an emergency? I need to have my car available full time because what if I have an emergency? Now, in town, it, within the city limits of most major cities and even smaller cities, there's an ambulance service, and most of the authorities if you will w uh, would prefer and almost even insist a lot of, in a lot of cases that you call an ambulance rather than transport a person to a hospital yourself i mean unless you just absolutely have no other option so even in those emergency situations there's still options uh the other point that i wanted to make was going back to something that jack said now as you know as i mentioned earlier I had uh, I had Todd Brilliant from the Post Carbon Institute on the on Z Radio earlier tonight, and he said within the institute they're really not believing in the abiotic oil thing. They're uh, skeptical of it and and tending away from it. However, I and with all due respect to them and their expertise, they are experts in the field. I am not, but. I'd ha I'd seriously have to question, okay, if you have to drill a mile below the surface to find oil, 
can you really expect to find fossils that far down, especially under the ocean or anywhere on the planet? And two, uh, even if there is such a thing as the abiotic oil, how much risk are we at if we are dig- drilling down that deep? You know, because we already know full well that there's an awful lot of pressure when you go that deep into the crust. Um, I had a reply also. Go ahead. Uh, it, well, in, in response to what Fred was just talking about, uh, that. Um, as far as drilling really deep uh, deep into the earth for oil, um, a lot of people often think, and I, I get into arguments with people over peak oil, and a lot of people um, erroneously think that peak oil is when we just simply start running out of oil, but that's not it. Uh, uh, peak oil is when we can't keep up with the consumption. Uh, we can't produce enough oil to keep up with the consumption. And we're drilling deeper and deeper into the earth to get to the oil, but eventually, eventually there's going to come a time when uh, when investors who are paying to extract that oil either don't want to pay to extract it because it's too, because it's, you know, they, they would have to invest too much or they're not willing to take the risk. But uh, in, in response to something that uh, Jack had said earlier, something uh, something about economists mentioning jobs created by the by the production of oil, uh, that's all well and good up until you're a fisherman put out of work by an oil spill. Then you can't really say it's for everybody's good anymore. That's very right. That's very true. And I you know I really look forward to that. You know we I, recently on Gizmag. Um, once again, I, I really suggest to people to consider subscribing to Gizmag. It'll send you emails every now and then to, you know, to go back to it, but it's basically kind of an online blog thing. But they always have great articles about various good technologies, and apparently um, they just created a, a, a type of synthetic gasoline that burns clean that will only cost about $1.50 a gallon. Um, and that's an example, actually, of Venus Project ideology. People always go, well, Jock, what are you going to do when a critical resource gets scarce? And he gave the example of how the Germans in- developed synthetic rubber to deal with the fact that, you know, that we, wouldn't, we wouldn't let them have the oil that they needed to make rubber. Um, you know, those are examples of the kind of innovative thinking that will be required in the future to deal with these kinds of problems, and I'm not suggesting that we should stick with internal combustion engines that are burning synthetic oil, but on the same token, um, it's it's a better solution than paying five, six dollars a gallon, <laughs> for damn sure. Yeah, yeah what you're well, saying is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, what you're saying is uh, whenever, uh, whenever a resource is inevitably scarce, what we do is we research and implement suitable alternatives. That's the simple answer to the question. Right. Go ahead, Jack. Um, yeah, two things. One is, uh, before I forget, I uh, I think it was last week I saw a movie called, a documentary called Gasland. Have any of you heard of it? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. Well, no. it was, it was uh, made by a person who owns some property um, uh, not far from New York, and what they're doing in terms of pulling natural gas from from uh underneath you know from the land is just amazingly criminal in terms of its relationship with the environment because every place they've done it it has fouled the 
groundwater in this documentary was talking to the people who had been living around there. They could actually, in many of these places, they could uh, take a lighter and light the the water that came out of the faucet. They could just light it, and it would, you know, the sink would just have that big blast of flame that comes out. So we think, oh, natural gas, it's pure source of energy. But what it's taking to get that natural gas is just, you know, if you see this this documentary, you feel like just, you know, like taking some organizing a protest and going down there and, and shutting all these places down because it's affecting all the people who live there, their health, they're getting cancers and other diseases. And, you know, for the sake of energy that we that we've got much better alternatives for, it's just nuts. And as I said, we need a community that can demonstrate something completely different. The Gaviotis community I don't know if any of you know about this place in in Colombia, but they they created this community out in the savannas where there was very little slope and there was nothing out there and they had to create the energy from natural resources. There were some brilliant people who did this, but they built a whole community there that was totally um, uh, self-sustaining in terms of its energy production. But the point about fuel and driving also is we don't need to be driving that much. People are driving and commuting to jobs that are jobs that don't need to exist and would not exist in a cooperative society. So or in put, many cases, they could do over the uh, over the internet. Uh, I, I know people that communicate to uh, uh, that commute to jobs that they could just as easily do from home. Guilty. It, Exactly, and and yeah. most of those jobs do not need to exist. Exactly, uh, because they're nine out of ten, they're non-productive. They don't produce anything that people actually use. Uh, insurance. What importance is insurance anyhow? You know, most insurance companies cancel your insurance the very moment you need it. Exactly. Um, but, you know, uh, you were talking about that documentary thing, and I think it's really disturbing because you see these documentaries all the time about uh, high power lines and gas uh, gas uh, drilling that ends up fouling the, the water and chemical plants that foul the water and the, the land water and the land t- uh, water table and all that, you know. And, and yet, more more often than not, after these, documentaries come out these people are marginalized well they're just a bunch of crazy backwater people that live in trailer parks you know it's just aberrant oh by the by the way uh speaking of useless jobs i have to mention my favorites the bankers and uh jack was uh, alluding to tesla and his method for creating an abundance of energy it was uh, it was the monopoly guy good old jp morgan who pulled the plug on tesla as it were Yep. Yep, absolutely. JP Morgan um, Chase. That whole yeah, it's 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 a weird once you understand the banking stuff, it's like I banks didn't used to be important to me, but now like when whenever I get mail from JP Morgan Chase saying, We'll give you a hundred dollars in your bank account if you come start one with us and you know, I just throw it right in the garbage. <laughs> it's something that wouldn't even have mattered to me before all of this went on. Um you know, in a 
after looking at it, uh, I think that the um, consensus chapter, like our consensus portion, Jack, I haven't had a chance to look at it. Almost seems like it should be a show unto itself. So That's I guess right. Maybe we should just start kind of an open forum, guys, and discuss some of these aspects, and uh, you know, maybe open the the airways to callers for this particular segment. We could have gotten to it if we didn't lose that time. Um, but in any case, uh, I, I want to thank you for coming on, Jack, again, as always. And, and go ahead and give them your website again while I do this. It's communityplanet.org, and there's a, you know, you can get the book, The Next Evolution, on the website. I'd prefer you get it there rather than Amazon, actually, and I can sign it for you before I send it out. But also there's a uh a video there that's 38 minutes that, that gives the Community Planet vision. It's not anywhere near as comprehensive as as the book, but um, uh, you can go there and get in touch with us through the website. All right, excellent. Um, we do actually have a caller uh, <laughs> identifies himself as male lesbian. Hello, Mr. <laughs> lesbian. That's Larry. Hi, Larry. Hi, yeah, okay. this is Hi, this is Larry, uh, the male lesbian from New Orleans, and uh, yeah, I live in New Orleans, so as you can imagine, this is pretty, you know, dear topic. Um, I, I saw Gasland; that was the documentary you guys were talking about, and fracking is the is the thing that they yep. do where they pump like benzene and all this crazy stuff into the ground. Well, here in Louisiana, I'm caught between a toxic oil spill on one side and fracking on the other side. If you look at the map during that documentary, it shows in red all the different places they're doing fracking. And, like, Louisiana is completely red. Plus, we have all these refineries here. I mean, it's just a toxic state to live in. Um, it's, uh, uh, this is kind of turned into a Zeitgeist Louisiana show. Guest star <laughs> Jack Reed. <laughs> Yeah. Fracking, by the way, is where they pump this very toxic mixture into the ground, including water, and and they put, pump it in there for to get the build up the pressure to create the the natural gas to come to the surface. But it's it's that toxic mixture that that goes into the ground through the fracking and produces all the problems. You know, I. I know that this should not be funny at all, but every time you guys say that word, I've had to like just stop laughing, or because you know I've, I've watched Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And fracking means an entirely different thing, <laughs> and to listen to people talking about it in a serious tone of voice, it's just <laughs> I guess I don't know. I guess it must be like a foreigner, you know, like hearing a word that means something else in their language. But anyway, I, I'm sorry to distract from the point. I just I had to have my 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 sci-fi geek moment there. Oh, that's, well, that's I'm, I'm a big sci-fi fan, so I definitely uh, and it also means something different in the military as well. It has a completely different meaning there as well. But yeah, yeah so the tyranny Deep of language. Yep. What were you going to say, Jack? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. A friend of mine in Vietnam was telling me about fracking, but uh, you know, Neil, if you watch the documentary Gasland, you'll you'll forever think of fracking as as being what they do with natural gas because it is it is disturbing to watch this movie. It's fracking disturbing. <laughs> I, yeah. I have I have a lot of empathy for the caller in terms of. Where you live and and what's happening there, but 
it's like, what do you do for water? You can't shower in the stuff. You can't wash dishes yeah. and stuff safely. It's like, what, what do you do? Reverse osmosis is about all there is. Um, and leaving this area, I'd like to do that, but I'm kind of, you know, invested here. So. At well, the same time, it, se- it seems like this would be the best place for people to wake up to, hey, this system ain't working. <laughs> you can't well, even drink the, the water free the air. Right. Yeah, by, by the way, for people who don't know, reverse osmosis is one of your desalinization technologies for turning salt water into fresh water. Every military vessel and cruise ship has one, but for some reason we're not use it, utilizing them on land. Yep. That's actually, a, if you watch uh, Tapped, or uh, they, they, they touch on it in Flow, For the Love of Water, and uh, yeah. Blue Gold World Water Wars... Uh, desalinization in a massive scale is an expensive technology, and we're almost kind of of the opinion that they're trying to get rid of our fresh water on purpose because they want to have control over something as precious as our yes. water supply. Well, you yeah. know, if we if we had if they had had a means to be able to get some uh, money off of solar operated vehicles and solar powering. Uh, Houses, if they'd have converted to that, and they, they could have made enough money off of buy, uh, off of you know any kind of fuel that's a, a cheap natural fuel, we would have had it a long time ago. But well, hey, the, the they, auto they, industry and, and the oil industry are in bed with each other, and they have been for a long time. <laughs> Well, you know, the the military does always seem to lead the way because they have the budget for it. But right now, I actually heard a show. It was um, uh, Science Friday, and the guy was saying, he was from the military, he was saying, oh, yeah, we're using all kinds of uh, generate electricity locally because they have to truck in oil is the way they're doing it now. And that's a very dangerous job and a very expensive job. So they're doing all kinds of things to make things efficient and using solar energy and wind energy and and the troops grow food in the local area and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, so <laughs> top they secret know technology. about it. Being able to take care of yourself is top secret technology. Hey, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, Jack, you said the oil industry is in bed with what other industry? Auto. The auto industry. Yep. Ah. You, you know, if you think back over some of the things that we've said during this show, we've got Basically, the three, well, there's a, a fourth uh, chapter coordinator, but we've got basically the three chapter coordinators for Louisiana here, and we're conservative speaking, conservatively speaking, roughly just about the only members in Louisiana, and it's <laughs> crazy. I mean, it's nuts. As fucked up as it is here in Louisiana, and as much as this state especially could use so much of the stuff that we're talking about. I'm amazed that we don't have more members. On oh, no. by the way, uh, I was I was going to come to a point with that question. They're not only in bed with the auto industry, but they're also in bed with the with the companies that bottle water because guess who makes the bottles? Yep. Yep, that's another oil product. Most people don't think about that. The oil companies who are uh, who are polluting the rivers. <laughs> So we got a whole bunch of corporate jerk-offs that are in bed together fracking. (laughs) 
Yeah. And by and by yeah. the way, just to just to make my point, uh, Ed, uh, Annie Leonard with Story of Stuff had a video, uh, something about I think it was called Bottled Water. Where Story she of did, Bottled Water. Yep. Yeah. Well, she, she details the oil industry in, uh, being in bed with the water industry and polluting the rivers, but uh, in order to make the stupid bottles. Yep. yep. I got a lot of great documentaries about that. I play on ZTV sometimes. Speaking of which. If anybody's ever interested in uh, getting anything like you know and doing anything on ZTV, let me know. I do have a lot of great documentaries about the topic of water, um, three of them actually. And if you're interested in hearing more about this, I had um, the filmmaker Sam Bazo from uh, Blue Gold World Water Wars on a previous episode of V Radio. You can check that out in the archives. Yeah. But um, I'm going to go ahead and continue the flow of the conversation. Um, you know, if any of you other chickens out there that I went and paid for a uh, toll-free number would like to call in, let me know. Otherwise, I can add you via Skype and uh, and uh, keep in touch. <laughs> That's why I did all of this. So, um, now, go ahead, these, Jack. Who are these people out there, Neil? Chickens? <laughs> yes, they're chickens. <laughs> they won't call in. I, oh, I no, get, I... I have I'm... lots of listeners, and it, it's funny that, you know, I, like I paid for an, an 888 number... For, for V Radio, and, and it rarely gets used. I am going to laugh if Missy calls in, the OLA coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. It's already a Creole a Creole invasion going on here, man. <laughs> well, Larry's the only Creole in the mix. I'm Cajun, and uh, Tenoro, Chris is a, uh, well, he's just a hillbilly. Yeah. No, I'm actually a carpetbagger. I'm actually from Ohio, so. But anyway, oh, I've been here five years. I used to live in Ohio. Very flat. Yeah. <laughs> right below well, Michigan. Go when, ahead, I drove through, when I drove through Ohio back in um, 1966, when my friend and I were, as 19-year-olds, we were on kind of a New Age spiritual pilgrimage around the country, and we had our 1950 Dodge panel truck, so we were pretty self-contained and on those long, flat roads in Ohio with the, the fields that on either side, for as far as the eye could see, there was a dirt road reading off to the, you know, the dirt roads would lead off, and then there'd be a sign that gave the name of a small town somewhere out there beyond the horizon and, and with the number of miles to go to get there. And we came across this one intersection. I wish I had taken a picture because I don't know if it, this still exists, but there was a road leading off to the right in between the cornfields and a road leading off to the left. And the sign on the, on the side of the road said just before the intersection, it points off to the right and it says Mars 5. And then underneath that, pointing off to the left, it says Freedom 10. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, as long as this is turning uh, out to be a Louisiana show, mom. you mind if I uh, share a little Louisiana down-home spun humor? Absolutely. With your Go right on ahead. Okay. I'm sure some people who have heard of Cajun culture and all of that have heard of uh, Boudreaux and Thibodeau. There's some <laughs> famous Cajuns. Yeah. So this one's about Boudreaux and Thibodeau, who... are astronauts. Well, at least they fancy themselves such. So... <laughs> Boudreaux goes around to Thibodeau's house one day, and Boudreaux's sitting out on the back porch, and he's drinking. And Thibodeau says, hey, my Boudreaux, now what you up to, Shy? 
says, oh, me? He says, nothing. He says, just been sitting around thinking. Thinking? What you been thinking about? He says, I've been thinking I'm going to do me something what nobody ever done before. He says, oh, man, what's that, shy? He says, I'm going to fly myself to the sun. To the sun? He says, man, but how are you going to get there? He says, oh, you see all them junk cars back there in the backyard? He says, I'm going to build me a rocket ship. He said, okay. He says, yeah, I think you got something there. He says, man, but what you going to do for some fuel? He says, well, I've been brewing me some shine. He says, uh, here, have a taste. So Boudreaux tries, tries a taste of that. He says, oh, man, yeah, I think you got something there, yeah. He says, but Thibodeau, man, what you going to do when you get to that sun? The sun is hot. It's going to fry your ass. He says, I got that all figured out. He says, I'm going to go at night. Uh. <laughs> uh, it's amazing what happens when I get derailed. I mean, we had this great, serious, perfect energy here on V-Radio, and then my, my cable goes out um, due to planned annoyolescence, and... Uh, <laughs> That's what I call it. Comcast, that's their their job is planned annoyolescence. That's they're like a freaking monopoly here too cuz there's very few competing companies and they have terrible yeah. terrible Comcast service. Is biggest in the country. It's yep. funny you say that, Neil, because I just moved into a new apartment about 2 weeks ago. I was on Suddenlink. Uh their service was reasonably decent and then I moved over here just across the river uh from uh from Houghton into Shreveport. And apparently, I can't get sudden link here. This side of the river belongs to Comcast. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, my boss and I argue all the time about how this is a competitive market and everybody competes. These guys aren't competing. This is a freaking cartel. Yep, that's very true. And it's a fracking cartel. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you got to think that if it was actually a competition kind of thing, here in Lafayette, and Lafayette's kind of a metropolis area, and it's uh, it's one of the bigger small towns of Louisiana. Um, you would think that you could find a little bit more than just Cox. Okay, yeah, if if you want more than just uh, your regular local channels, you could go to Cox, you could go to Dish, or you could go to Direct TV. You know, you're basically your options are satellite TV or Cox. That's yeah. great. Oh. <laughs> and and in a cooperative society, how easy it would be to take care of that whole issue and eliminate all kinds of jobs and all kind of energy resources in the process. Yeah, oh, yeah. you know, I heard that isn't it Finland where the uh, one gigabyte download speed is a right of citizenship or something now. And it's just uh, considered to be a public good, and because of that, there's no billing department. It's so much more efficient and cheaper per citizen, and they get great service. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it eliminates jobs because you don't have the redundancy of all these competing firms providing what should be a public good. You know, that's another thing that has seriously changed our culture, and I don't think about it much until, you know, you really go back to it. But do you guys remember life before the Internet? You know, like... We were talking about that because of Egypt, you know, like if Egypt goes down, we'd have to set up like Zeitgeist bulletin board systems and go back to like dial-up modems. <laughs> like, does anybody even remember how to do that? <laughs> mm. yeah. I, yeah. I do remember uh, I do remember my dial-up modem, my 56K dial-up modem, and it was really more of a poke-and-hope system. Yeah. 
and they make that her- that terrible noise that you become oh, yeah. accustomed to because, like, yes, I connected. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, when you finally hear that ding, ding after yeah. all that, yeah. <laughs> oh no, I, I was so good back then. I could actually troubleshoot my connection problem simply by listening to that sound. Yep, yep. I remember that. That's that's so crazy, man. Oh, those were the days. Wires, Apple two GS going to waste. Apple two GS computers, uh, really old IBM's. You know, before the clones were around. Um, and uh, let me see, uh, Amiga computers. Oh, my. remember Amiga? Yep, I remember Amigas. Commodore hey barely existed. Speaking of uh, speaking of low tech, is there a way? I know you guys are techies, or at least you know Tenoro is. Is there a way that if, let's say, the big internet went down, that everybody in their home almost, or many people in their home, have a Wi-Fi defi- device? And like a lot of times, neighbors will share their Wi-Fi because you know if there's like four in a four family, they can sh- all share it and have a one fourth of the bill. But um, is there a way that you could actually link those things together to make an underground internet in case you know uh, the big internet goes down or whatever? We can just say screw you guys. Uh, I know my neighbor. My neighbor. Yeah, essentially, he's got a ham that. radio. He'd have to have a bunch so of repeaters. Yeah, yeah, everybody had a repeater in their home. I mean, the the bandwidth would suck, but it's theoretically possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, you would basically be back on dial-up because everybody would be sharing the same uh, the, the same network essentially. Yeah, it'd be you know some kind of you know uh, extension cord, you know, uh, bubble gum type of you know thing but of course you know if it if it got around the kill switch and if it got around the uh uh you know the the new thing they're trying to do now where they're trying to get rid of network neutrality and they're trying to make it to where like their content is like a fire hose and everybody else you got to wait like it's a dial up and it seems like they're already doing it now cuz there's a few websites that I go to it seems like they're not as good as they used to be and um but yeah um i'd like you know that would be something that we might need to look into as far as uh trying to if we can get enough members strung along in a row you know with maybe some ham radios or something um just to keep I remember those communication days. open yep. yeah and uh playing online games remember the original online games on BBSs were like barren realms and uh, you know, the games like that, you know, where you could just kind of—they were all text-based. You know, it's yeah. so crazy to go back and think about that. But I mean, in the in outside of the nostalgic element, it's the fact that it changed our culture so much. I mean, when you really think about this, you know, imagine all the distance between all of us right now. You know, um, it, it's even more powerful when you're sitting, say, in Teamspeak or something, and you've got people from like sometimes as many as 30 countries. You know, yeah. sitting in the same channel. Yep. Uh, yeah. The exchanges of information that you get to make. You know, our newsletter goes out to like roughly 500,000 people from different countries. It's translated in multiple languages. You know, um, and it's just uh, it's a it's so powerful. And the, you know, the friendships that you make with these people that you would have never even interacted with. I. I just I think back on that now and 
I try to remember what it was like, you know, how many people from England did I actually talk to before I got on the internet? You know, mm. uh, you know, how many people from Portugal did I ever speak to before I got on the internet? You know, I mean, I'd, I'd meet a few people from Mexico or Canada, you know, but Romania, you know, no way, you know, not before the internet. You know, it's, I was, I was ahead. luckier than a lot of people where I went to school because there, we had a lot of foreign exchange students and uh, imports from other. Uh, parts of the world, so I, I was actually lucky enough to have met people from Sweden, Denmark, uh, you know, um, England, uh, Thailand, China, um, and, and several other, Vietnam, and several other places, uh, including Australia and New Zealand, you know. So I, I went to school with a lot of people from all different parts of the world, and I, it helped me out a lot, I think, because. It made me aware of all of these different cultures. And there, there was also something else that always amazed me about the internet. It really got me to thinking. And Jack might like this angle. I don't know if he's ever used it before, because I'm not familiar with his books. But if you really look at the history of communication, the the trend of social cooperation always seems to follow the trend of uh, of communication. If all the way back to the to the friggin' telegraph, and you know the telegraph led us right into cross uh, uh, cross country communication, and then there was the telephone, and telephone started spreading across nations, and now we have the internet that connects us to such a high degree. Cooperation is inevitable. Yeah. Well, I'm Jack, actually, you still there? We yeah, haven't heard I'm, from you in a while. I'm here, and I've got. You know, there's been an incredible amount of good things that have happened from from the Internet and from the in- information age. And at the same time, for, for a lot of people, there's been an incredible amount of damage in that it's so easy to get to sit in front of a computer. And, and I think there's been studies... Like, studies on these things where people are losing the ability to really communicate with one another and to take to take time to go inside and even communicate with themselves and so uh, the, the information age was supposed to save us a lot of time and it's actually just used up more of our time and for a country of, of obese people and where a third of the people are now who are growing up now are going to be diabetic in in their adult years it's just you know there's we need again i think we need to to come up with a whole different way of living together which is part of the whole community planet proposal that we need to just change the whole way of of interacting so that we can so that people can redevelop the skill of really what it means to to connect on a deeper level with themselves, with each other, with nature, because that in many cases is being lost. Uh, I, I, I tell the story about how the last time I went out backpacking, it took me about 45 minutes to get used to being out there, and it took me about two weeks to adjust to coming back into this environment with all the 
technology and all the distraction and all the things there there was to do. But we need to get back to, I think, more simplicity in our lives and, and use the Internet as a tool, but also, as Thoreau said, the secret to life was to simplify, simplify, simplify. And it doesn't yeah. mean we have to give anything up. It means we can really have much richer lives by by living cooperatively and focusing on the connections because separation i believe is the is the main problem on the planet separation within ourselves separation from other people and separation from nature yeah well no and i yeah. agree with you people do tend to get too plugged in um and we can I'll, i'm going to let frank talk before i launch onto my thing about that cuz i realize it'll probably take a moment <laughs> go ahead frank uh, I can I can feel what you're saying about connecting to people, especially on a deeper level. Because you know Larry's been breathing into his phone really heavily for the past couple of minutes, and it's just really turning me on and making me want to connect. Oh, sorry about that. Is this a, do I have it in a better position now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah we, we surmised. I don't the hear chat, it on my end at all. Chat, we said that it must have been all that talk about fracking that's got you all hot and bothered. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it, it, but remember, it's don't ask, don't tell on V Radio. So if if he was making you hot, um, in any case, what I was gonna say about um, connection is I've seen some people, and uh, especially in the online gaming world, man, sometimes those people get so plugged in that it, it's they they take it so seriously, you know. Uh, and it's it's not just the online games. I mean, it's a lot of people when I talk to them about the 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 troll phenomenon, they 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 see the stuff that gets done, and you know, and how they the people go after me, and they're like, "How can you deal with that and not get really mad?" And I'm just like, you know, dude, it doesn't exist outside of this little box on my desk. You know, I can get up and walk away from it anytime I want, and it's not there anymore. You know, you know, it's but it's Sport. there are people who can't do that. They can't. Yeah, sports unplug. fans. Sports fans, <laughs> you know, they watch this game that has absolutely no relevance to their own life. That it, you know, it doesn't make their rent go down, doesn't give them a raise, doesn't, you know, clean the air, doesn't do anything. It's just uh, entertainment, and they get so wrapped up in it and so emotionally invested in this game whether it's a video game or a sports game or whatever, and it's just amazing. It's like, why don't they get that emotionally wrapped up in, like, housing a bunch of people or feeding a bunch of people or, you know? Uh, okay. Um, oh, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but there is something I wanted to say uh, in reply to what Neil was talking about, but I'll wait until you're finished. No, that's it. Uh, just to be fair to online gamers, or, or at the very least, you might find this uh, ironic and amusing. I'm an online gamer myself. I, I like to play uh, the. Uh, I like to play Mabinogi myself, and uh, on one of their servers, on the one that I play on, get, uh, you're, you're going to love this, Neil. Would you believe the players frequently complain that the economy is bad <laughs> on this freaking online game, and they often ask me why? And I have to break down and explain to them <clears throat> that this game creates gold, which is the currency in this game, out of nothing because you're killing the <laughs> monsters in order to get it. That's why the bank fees exist in order to take that money out of the system because when there's too much gold floating around, then it raises the prices. 
It is the best analogy for explaining why our real e- economy is so messed up. Yeah, and it's just a game can, too. People who have money who are willing to spend it in real life can can unbalance the economy and and really wreck those games too. It's it's funny you brought that up because that's how Rudy Davis the the guy who wanted to tell us all that that Jock is a chimpanzee from hell. I I can't even complete the sentence. Anyway, um, so, you know, it just, he pointed out that, you know, he played World of Warcraft and he was like, you know, how they can make gold out of thin air and the Chinese gold farmers mess up the economy and all that. And and it just, it's so crazy, you know, but that people will do that too, you know, and it's just, um, and, and then the ones who don't buy gold are almost more disturbing. It's almost like they create a work culture. Um, like my game that I played a lot was Star Wars Galaxies, and you didn't really have to work very much in that game. You could get done in a couple of weeks. And so, therefore, trying to go to these other games like World of Warcraft or Weather, where it's like you got to grind and do repetitive, boring things for six months at a time, I'm just like, screw that. No way. You know, I can't. I just can't participate in that. The only reason I can even do online ro- on, online gaming now is because I I play on a role playing server and I can tell stories and you know make custom dungeons. I play City of Heroes and in City of Heroes they have this thing that allows you to create your own monsters and your own missions and and stuff like that. So I kind of run a a storyline like a game master would on the internet. And but even that I I do it in moderation. I I can't I couldn't imagine sitting on there all day. I'll go days without even being around. Um, and it's and but there are a lot of people there, man. They're there every single day. You know that the notion of missing even a single day of City of Villains, you know, is is bad to them. And and I don't hate online games by any means. I just I feel that it, like anything else, needs to be done in moderation. Um, the the game Guild Wars, uh, it actually like starts sending you messages. It's like you've been online for an hour. Maybe you should take a break. And then it keeps doing this. And then it like changes it. And then like uh, one day I had it sitting on for 12 hours. And it said, you've been online for 12 hours, calling an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've got to ask yourself just exactly how screwed up is our world when even our form of escapism supports this system, you know, and perpetuates it. Wasn't there well, a regulation uh, or an outcry or something that caused that? Well, I mean, you know, you you look at it, you know, and... and it's real easy to spot and see conspiracies, even where none exist, and even where none are really necessary. I mean, right down to the gaming systems, supporting the banking systems, mm-hmm. and emulating them. Yep. Oh, that's very that, true. And uh, by well, the way, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I would like to villainize myself for a moment, and then I'll attempt to redeem myself uh, while I... <laughs> I do actually probably spend a little bit too much time on Mabinogi myself. I am sitting here on this call, and I agreed to do this show with you guys because the Mabinogi server is down for maintenance tonight. But <laughs> well, whenever glad it, you have your priorities straight, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but hold on. Let, let, that's, that's me villainizing myself. To redeem myself, I do discuss the Zeitgeist movement with anyone who will listen on the game. And I have actually bumped into a few people who are very interested and have actually joined the movement themselves. Oh, well, that's cool. Yep. That's so, so, am I re- so am I redeemed? Um, maybe. I'll get back to some degree. Like, I don't uh, know if I can come on your show, V. I gotta go play Mabinogi. 
Um, I played a game called The Sims Online um, for the longest time, and uh, that game was annihilated by the by the gold farming phenomenon. People were paying for simoleons, and and the whole the whole game was based on making businesses and competing against other businesses. So what people would do is they would buy the the simoleon money, and then their businesses basically because the way you get to be a higher rated business is like by the amount of time other players are spending in your business. So they would just pay people to stay there, and that's how they went. You know, they just go buy money online, and then just you know, then they'd have the highest-rated places by just paying people to hang out. It was so pathetic, and it's too bad because it destroyed that game. You know, I had to come up with an original idea. I set up Sim Pro Wrestling to get to get people to hang out in mine. But go ahead, Jack. So the question is, as I'm listening to your game players, because I don't play uh, go online and play games on the way too busy for for that. Um, but my question for all of you game players would be, given the choice, let's say that you were in a community and there were people that you could interact and play with and create with uh, to do whatever you wanted to do, there'd be people that you could actually interact with. Would you prefer to go online and and play those games, or would you prefer... Uh, and I'm asking because I don't know. Or would you prefer to have people that you play with who are actual real people who are right there that you can play and interact with? You know, I, I love to do that. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that the main reason I ended up turning to online video gaming, especially in Michigan, because the gas prices were so ridiculous, it conditioned everybody that, you know, that even driving longer than a half hour is like driving to Utah or something. That's how people act. Um, and it was kind of a matter of, I, they, we just couldn't hang out anymore. Um, exactly all my friends live an hour point, away. Exactly the point of what I was saying earlier. The way we've got our lives set up in these every person for themselves communities are, are nuts. And living in a, we need to live in a community where people connect with each other, where people can interact and play with one another, where, where people are, you know, have relationships and friends and where you don't have to hop in a car to go someplace to find people to interact with. Well, you know, I think it's interesting that you brought that one up, that question specifically, because I do play some video games. I do not play online video games. Um, Whenever I do play video games, it is pure escapism. It is me in and of myself just getting away from myself because, I mean, I spend an awful lot of time thinking about all kinds of different kinds of things and sometimes I just have to command myself to take a break from it but before the internet came along and really started hitting big uh, I was in a game system called GURPS Generic Universal Role Playing Systems which was done in person and it was it's similar to uh, a lot of people have heard of Dungeons and Dragons and it's kind of similar to that, except that in this one, you could create just any kind of world. So I really enjoyed it for the fact of the creativity behind it. That's Yeah, that's actually what's cool about City of Villains is you can do the same thing. Um, real quick, though, because we're getting down to a real short amount of time, uh, something else that I wanted to tell people about, you can currently watch this documentary for free online, and it's not really about 
learning about our direction or anything, but people have asked about my hobby that I keep mentioning. Um, there's a documentary called Darkon, spelled D-A-R-K-O-N, that is a decent documentary that's similar to what I do in my in my hobby. Um, but uh, the reason I brought that up is that there were some trolls that took some of the pictures of me doing that and, and thought it would be a way to discredit me, so I figured I'd just be forthcoming and say this is what I do one weekend a month. And, you know, yes, it's it's a violent hobby, but the reason I still like it is that I can live in a mythical world where there really are bad guys and I can actually be a good guy. Because <laughs> in the real world, you can't do that as a warrior. So, well, in the real world, I think we begin to realize there really is no such thing as good and evil. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, folks, yeah. um, we're down to the last, like, 90 seconds. Uh, did you need to say something I heard from the caller? Oh, um, yeah. Quickly. Okay. Um <clears throat> No, you better just go ahead. <laughs> well, you, know, you can always come on at a different time. Well, I'm always I looking guess, for the Yeah, well, the guy was saying, you know, well, would you do it in reality? Would you get together with people in reality? And obviously that would be preferred. But my question is, can you fly and can you shoot lightning bolts out of your eyeballs? <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent point. So, I mean, uh, we, we need to work, that, work on that in the RBE. The ability to shoot lightning bolts from our eyes will definitely come in handy. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for tuning in tonight to V Radio. I apologize for the uh, technical problems. Blame Comcast. If you wish to burn down the company, I will not oppose that. Um, and uh, you, our next show, actually, I'm going to have Dr. Gabor Mate from Zeitgeist 3. He's going to be on Thursday. And um, I'm going to have that master show I told you guys about with Ben Stewart, Peter Joseph, and Roger Stahl all on the same show. Thank you for tuning to V Radio. Everybody say good night. Good night. 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 And I'll leave you guys with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio. All right. That was it. <laughs>